Welcome to the KPB Podcast. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At KPB, we don't think money should dictate who has the opportunity to play college baseball or who gets to make informed decisions throughout the college baseball recruiting process. And all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the KPB podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the KPB podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. Welcome to the KPB Podcast. Our guest today is Alex Smith, who has a long track record of coaching baseball at different levels in the Sacramento area here in Northern California. Smith is the founder of Best Speed Baseball Academy, co-founder of Addy Speed National Team, a three-time varsity head coach, and also spent four years as a junior college assistant with Consumnes River College. Countless players from Smith's program have gone on to play at the college level and have success, and that opens the door for an insightful conversation where we pick his brain about leading players and families through the recruiting process and what recruiting looks like from his unique vantage point. Keep listening because the podcast episode starts right now. Coach, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Yeah, so you've... you've dealt with the recruiting process from a lot of different angles, right? High school coach, travel ball coach, went through it yourself. Um, I want to talk about one angle that's got to be pretty special for you, and that's when you went through this process with your son, who's now a college player. Um, Can you kind of talk about what that experience was like and then, you know, what you've learned from helping him through the process that maybe was different from the other perspectives? Yeah, I think the number one thing that comes to mind first is is there is such a thing uh, too much too soon. Um, as a young player, you know, very gifted, obviously a different background than most players that are in my academy or, or around what we're doing. Um, he was kind of the lifeblood of his team and, and even our program in a lot of ways. So there was that this kid's really good. But then he's also the coaches or founder, head instructor's kid. So I always found myself through the recruitment process kind of stuck in between the middle of how do I promote him? How do I talk about him in a way that coaches can understand? Like, yeah, he's a coach's son, but he's really good. And I think the help part on the recruitment aspect was our collaboration pieces with uh, two different travel ball groups, Club All-Star, as well as the Admirals. And when we formed Addy Speed in 2020, uh, coming right out of COVID, or we were in smack dab in the middle of COVID, yeah. when we started this partnership, it was great to have Dyron uh, Rowling, who was more of the advocate. So basically, we traded spots. Mm-hmm. I was Kobe, his son's advocate, sure. and he was TJ's advocate uh, when speaking to colleges. I think that part of it really helped. I think having a two-headed monster that, one, you have two individuals who own and run their own programs. They're very well-known. They've put out kids for quite some time. So we're not going to fluff the people that are recruiting our kids. You know, we're not just doing this because of our kids. We're doing this because we really, truly love what we do. And TJ's a good player, and he deserves, and I believe is a D1 baseball player who has potential to go on and play at the next level after his, you know, four year or even three year uh, journey at that level. So, you know, that was the first hurdle. That was a big hurdle all the time. I think the second hurdle was getting my kid to understand how important grades were. Um, COVID was the best thing that ever happened to him. Um, It forced him to really kind of buckle down in the classroom. So it's right at the start of his, you know, second semester of junior year and it was a pivotal year because he was hovering right around a 3-0 to a 3-1 and he turned it all around and ended up finishing high school with a 3-6 has like a 3-7-5 in college right now and it it really forced others to really now look at him because that 
character piece of having the grades was very imperative. I think um, we did a lot. I mean, he was asked to do a lot. Uh, he, he played in different uh, showcase leagues that NCTB at the time was putting on. He played mm-hmm. in the league as an eighth grader, played uh, in the top 100 as a freshman and sophomore. You know, he did the super camps. And I think that those things were very, very vital uh, to him being in front of D1 schools on the West Coast. Uh, also had a few opportunities to go back to the Midwest, play in Oklahoma uh, twice and be around those kids as well as those college recruiters, because every recruiter has has their own set forth plan. But I think that the set of eyeballs that were different from the West Coast yeah. really helped realize or make him realize he was capable of playing collegiately. Is there anything you'd do differently looking back in terms of where he would play, how much he would play? You know how much you'd be at the mercy of these events. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd change in that regard? I think the biggest thing is is just like we did USA baseball three straight years when he was 11, 12, and thirteen. Probably would have let him do the twelve, not the eleven and thirteen year old one. It was a pretty costly thing in the pocketbook. It was great experience because he met some really great players, obviously. But I think the biggest thing I wouldn't do is showcase him as a freshman. Um, I did that. Uh, there were some tools there, but he wasn't necessarily ready mm-hmm. there. Um, I think more what we did during that time, we did a lot of team camp stuff. So what it did was it actually allowed him to be seen by certain coaches. And I felt like if they see him now, they'll see the growth later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm to the belief that he kind of lucked out because that's what our circuit has always been is more team camp oriented, more intimate settings. And I would love to just do that, you know, because being on a national stage, it's really you got to light up the radar gun. You got to light up the exit velo uh, on your Rapsodo or whatever they're tracking on. And ultimately, it's taking away a little bit from the actual player who I believe he is, the tangible pieces of being a a baseball player. And and that's just playing in the game. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think we could have hit a little bit more on training. Um, and training for that, I, I felt like his 60 times sucked for who he was as an athlete. Um, that's one of the things we promote in our organization a lot. That's why a lot of our young men, you know, go to hyperthrive and, and train for those things because it, these are bigger, you know, metric pieces that these college coaches do sure. want to see. That's a, that's a piece that doesn't slump, right? No, can run, speed can never run. slumps, yep. you know, and, and. And it's funny because it's not like he's a guy that just jumps off your 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 clipboard that he's going to run, but he's very smart, intelligent on the base paths. And I feel like the only time you're going to really get to see that is is if he's on base in a game. Yeah, you know. But that that was where those team camps really came to fruition for a, a lot of our guys. A lot of our guys have gotten their opportunities to play at the four years through those types of camps. Yeah, and just a reminder, right? Like, there's so many different ways to get in front of college coaches mm-hmm. so like what you can do at a showcase a lot mm-hmm. of times you can accomplish in video mm-hmm. but going to the whether it's you know like a, a summer camp where mm-hmm. you know all the coaches are present or a team camp you know that gives a better more holistic view not mm-hmm. only of, of you as a player but also like hey how does this coaching staff operate yeah you know, yeah you get a chance to communicate i think the team camp is probably the most vital piece and i know it's going to probably be uh, not looked at, you know, from a bigger standpoint of the money aspect of the individualized showcase. The team camp is the intimate setting where I get to know as a staff, I get to know their staff, they get to know me. Um, you know, and obviously the biggest compliment is, is most staffs are you guys play the game the right way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, between our Addy Speed National Group and even our Best Speed Regional Groups, uh, they just play the game how we've always taught it. And, that's more aligned with what most of these colleges are doing. You know, right. they do bunt, they do hit and run, they do delay, they, you know, they do all the little things on first and thirds, they throw to the proper bag, you know, they're in double cuts on their relays. And so when they see that, I think that that gives them an inclination, okay, this kid knows how to train, how to yeah. practice, you know, yeah. and that's a big step in, in, in their recruitment process individually. Huge, huge. How about like the, like the nuts and the bolts of the recruiting process or the steps that you have to take. Is there anything that was surprising as you're going through this as a parent, as opposed to 
a travel ball coach, a high school yeah, coach. Yeah, as from a parent standpoint, uh during his tenure of getting recruited, it was the lack thereof communication from certain from certain coaches or certain staffs. Um to, I'm a, to you or yeah, to him? no, to yeah. him. To okay. him. Not even to I don't I don't want you communicating with me when you're trying to recruit my kid. I want you to talk to my kid, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I want you to get to know him. Um, we can get to know each other after, you know, or a little bit in between. But it, the recruitment process needs to be him with the staff. Right. Right. Each player needs to have that experience because this is where they're going to choose to go for the next four years. But uh, kind of like Rob Bruno says, and even what my dad used to say, it's, it's a 40, 50 year decision. You know, your your next four years are going to determine your next 40. So as a parent, it was just you have your really good ones. And, and, and I will say most of the majority of college coaches that are recruiting coordinators, especially, are very good at their jobs. They, they, they know how to identify and spot talent. I think organization is a big thing, you know, as far as that talent. And I understand how recruitment goes, right? Like you're going to have 10 kids for two spots that you're talking to and you're hoping your top two stick. And as a parent, you just never know where their board is as a coach can kind of get an inclination of what they're really looking for. So obviously my lenses as a parent were more, I just want him to be an upstanding young man when he's on the phone and what he's doing off the field during that time. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me, like, sometimes you have to ask the hard questions, Mm -hmm. even as a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. Like, hey, coach, where am I on your board right now? Mm -hmm. Like, I understand. And I think he really, really, truly grasped that. But that's because of the environment he's always been in. So. I, I think his class overall, that 21 group that was here at Best Speed, here at the Admirals, and when we became Addy Speed, uh, these kids were very, very well in tuned with who they were as players. Uh, I think that COVID has kind of taken that away from this current classes of players. Yeah. Um, they just don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to communicate to ask. They don't know how to communicate to learn, and they really struggle with the eye contact piece of um, asking the hard question. Yep. Um, you know, or even you know, I always look, I always remember Nolan Barry uh, would would go and look at every roster, and then he would text me uh, when he was getting recruited by Chico State. You know, he's looking at their roster and he's like, "Coach, there's a lot of JUCO guys on here. Like, is that what they do?" And I said. Yeah, they, they do. I mean, that's where I committed to my sophomore year at American River College. I committed to the Chico State Wildcats, and I just knew that it was a great D2 program. Mm-hmm. You know, like, am I a D1 talent with the bat? Yeah, but I wanted to go somewhere where I was going to win and possibly, you know, go to the World Series. And sure enough, they did. Two straight years. Yeah. I just never made it to campus because I, I chose to go free agency. But they they did they 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 won they won it they went to it twice yeah. <laughs> in the years i was supposed to be there so i felt like that was a decision that was a really good decision and not necessarily the decision i made out of high school was the right decision cuz it wasn't i i went to a school that was sight unseen mm-hmm. i had never been to the south i've been to atlanta and florida a few times but i'd never been to louisiana and i'd never experienced culture down there and how things are done down there and it was a culture shock when i showed up and i just wanted to go home i was 18 and just wanted to get home the fastest way i could figure out how to get home i was doing that every day and so i think that our kids now have so much information kind of what we talked about in our in our pre pre pre-boarding meeting was these kids have every single piece of information on google Yep. They can virtually tour a campus. They can get on a plane, you know, kind of inexpensively in a sense and go and view that campus, which a lot of families do, especially on the West Coast, because colleges are very close to one another here yep. on the West Coast. And I encourage that. Go on an unofficial, you know, go and view what they're doing. Go try to see a, a game or a practice, especially here at Sac State and St. Mary's and UOP and even the JCs go there, go see that, like go see what they're doing on a daily basis. Yeah. No, no piece of research 
is wasted. No. Because once you get to <laughs> campus, it's too late. Yeah. You can't change any. You can't change this coach's hitting philosophy. No. You can't change the weather. Mm-hmm. You can't change campus, the culture of the city you're yeah. living in, right? So all that. Um, so we'll get to more of that later. But you okay. did mention, you know, COVID. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit before we started recording about how the 2022s and the 2023s have really been squeezed because of COVID. So just talk a little bit about your perspective on on the recruiting process right now. Like how do how do things look from your vantage point and, and how have they changed over the last couple of years? So, uh, if, you know, our first group that was really recruited heavily was 2014 through 2016. Uh, that's when we started getting kids out here because those were our first groups that were at the, we call it the college prep side. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was really true to fact of all you need is one set of eyes to believe like, and that happened. And it's, it's funny how it's always happened is, is that once one goes, there's, it's the domino effect. Yeah. Once one kid commits. And I remember the 2016 class in 2015, their fall, we went to a camp in uh, the Bay area. And there was 15 schools there. It's where I met Andrew Bartman, who's now USA director of, of, of almost everything. Yeah. And met Jeff Calhoun. I met Justin James, who both are now, you know, well, Jeff just left Biola, but uh, Justin is the head coach at Point Loma, and they just went to a national championship game. I met all of these guys when they were low-level recruiting coordinators. Mm-hmm. And all it took was the one set of eyes to fall in love with, the particular player that they were looking for and that 2015 group, the 2016 class was really, really good. You know, they were my babies that came up in this program. You know, Mm -hmm. I had them since they were 11. Now we're getting to, you know, their junior or senior years and they all played very well. Um, We had one player already committed to Sac State, which was Cody Gardner. Um, and then once they found out that, okay, the shortstop is committed, like who else on this roster can play? Um, everybody, everybody <laughs> can play. Yeah. Well, even my third string first baseman, who was basically the first guy to get off the board after Cody, which at the time I had Austin Roberts, who's in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, Burl Dixon playing, you know, right and left field, who's with the Kansas City Royals organization. Um, an injury happened to our secondary first baseman because our starting first baseman was the starting pitcher that day. So I had to play Sal Anguianano at first base. And Sal is about six, three and a half, a little slow twitch, but good bat, good glove. And Nebraska Westland fell in love with him the first two innings of the game. I mean, I think Sal hit six times in that showcase game, in that one game, because they just wanted to keep seeing him hit. They're like, hey, coach, I got to see him hit again. I got to see him hit again. I got to see him hit again. And I'm blown away. Like, Sal? Like, you know, Sal's a good kid. He's a great piece to what we've always done. You know, he's a middle relief kind of pitcher or, you know, spot starter during the weeks, during the summer and fall games. And once Sal got off the board, every kid that was on that roster ended up getting a deal. You know, that just kind of goes to show, right? You never know what someone's looking for. Yeah. So just hey, be the best version of yeah, you. Yeah, of you every day. We just had that conversation yesterday with our with our thirteens and fourteens, which seventh and eighth grade is is truly the biggest years of these kids' lives. A lot of people want to put the emphasis on it being high school years. I think the seventh and eighth grade years, if you prep them correctly, you're gonna have the right pieces when they're sophomores, juniors, and seniors. But yes, COVID has generally affected everything the portal has affected everything mm-hmm. um i have players like we discussed in our pre pre our pre-podcast meeting uh gabe henderson uh, in my opinion was the best player in northern california and i think you agreed with me earlier in, in the summer when that was the best player you had saw all year and he's got a very good deal to a d2 a very lucrative deal that's not going to cost him pretty much anything to play baseball but is he a D1 talent? Yes. Is he a D1 bat? Yes. Is he a D1 pitcher? Yes. Like this kid can legitimately two-way at the D1 level. And a lot of people passed. A lot of people, a lot of eyes passed. And I'm kind of shaking my head like, you guys are missing out. You guys are yeah. missing out on this guy. I've got 23s right now, you know, um, that do it all, you know, that can throw, 
I've got pitchers that are sitting 86 to 89, you know, the things, the metrics that they're looking for, but they just haven't been called yet. Um, I think there's not space. Yeah, there's no time. There's no space. Um, Recruitment overall has really been hard because, you know, we just found out the state schools, you know, the Sac States, the, the, the San Jose States, the Long Beach States, you know, they're no longer getting public funding to travel. So that that budget's gone. So when that budget's gone, now the budget is within house. And so they can't go to Arizona. Well, where are the majority of our tournaments and our showcases? They're in Arizona. You know, I fly out tomorrow night, you know, for the next three weeks, Thursday through Sunday, I'm in Arizona at the, you know, the three biggest events of the fall, other than the World Woodbat and Jupiter, you know, which is the, you know, the sophomore, junior and senior fall classics. And I'm really anxious and nervous to see who shows up. Mm-hmm. I hope they all show up. Um, when we first started going to this event, everybody was there. You know, you'd see 80 to 100 schools at the academic tryout uh, throughout the days. Um, you know, we got a kid out last year, Eric Diaz, who's at Long Beach. They flew in that morning to watch Eric pitch. And then that next day, drove to Vacaville, <laughs> flew into Sacramento, drove to Vacaville and offered him. I mean, but he was a, he was a no brainer. You know, he was a 22 that ended up having to get out in the fall, but he was a no-brainer. He's 92 to 94, high spin rate, you know, just a competitor, middle linebacker at Vanden and, and, and a two-way guy in high school. But, yeah, his future was pitching. And we, I, I honestly say, not saying we got lucky, but we had a relationship with the staff and we have a relationship because they have, a, you know, a couple of our players over there. And it took all of that. It took the couple players we have on their roster to speak highly of what Eric is and because they know they train with him in the off season, they know who this young man is. And I think that that also pushed them to say, okay, we're going to get on a plane and go see him. Yeah. So it's obviously no surprise to people who know the way recruiting works, right? Mm -hmm. Like your network is is incredibly (laughs) important, right? Like if you have someone who can pick up the phone and not only that, but you know, we have an article that talks about like, if you're in the baseball community, you're going to be able to create a network, mm-hmm. but you have an established network. So talk a little bit about what are these conversations with college coaches like, you know, what, when they see your guy and they like him, they pick up the phone and they call you or they, they text you. What are they asking you? What do they want to know about these guys? The generalities, obviously, can he play? What are his, what are his, you know, strongest tools? What are his weakest tools? I think the with my network, it's very, we're, we're all personal. You know, so it helps. It helps that we have a personal relationship as well as a professional one. So your word has to be your bond. And I think the biggest thing that they always ask is, you know, is he a good kid? You know, is he going to be a great issue kid? Is he going to be a locker room, uh, you know, heaven or nightmare, you know, kind of guy? And the majority of our kids, and that's what we preach here in this program and, and on our national team is, you know, we have three C's. You know, I've talked about it at nauseum, you know, in my program and on my podcast that I did during COVID. But it's a confidence piece. It's a it's a competitive piece. It's a challenged piece. And then that kind of hidden fourth C is character. And I think that's usually the biggest part of our conversations is the player's character, along with their parents. Um, When recruiting was a lot different, obviously, in those years, like 21 and down, Mm I would get phone calls from college recruiters about players that are just in the generalized area of Sacramento to 916-707 and 530. Hey, you have know. you seen this guy? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, can you tell me a little bit? We're 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 we're, we're kind of hot on this guy. Um you know, Tyler Latori, who's now the head coach at Westmont. Him and I have been very tight for almost 15 years now and our conversations are always like that. He will always follow up with a player from this area with me. So this is not even my kid, but it, they, they want to know, what did I see? You know, was this kid a good ball player on and off the field when you witnessed him? Did he come in ready to play? You know, and, and you're going to give your honest opinion and answer. I mean, a lot of people don't realize baseball is very opinionated. Yeah, there's facts, right? There's the analytical facts. There's the metric facts. And, again, my eyes might see something different than you. You know, I notice little tangible pieces. Does this kid always communicate? Uh, is he always in the right position? Um, body language is obviously a big thing, you know, if he fails. And I always try to tell our players on the national side that 
they're there to see you fail more than they're there to see you be successful. Yeah. It, you know, hearing you say that mm-hmm. takes me back to your piece about the first baseman, right? Mm-hmm. And you were kind of surprised that this school was really interested in them. Mm-hmm. You never know what people are looking for. Everyone sees things just a little different, but also like what, as a high school mind, a good game going three for three with a couple RBIs, uh, double maybe, like isn't necessarily what the colleges are looking at, right? Because if that double came off a kid that's throwing 75, 75 <laughs> that doesn't yeah. give a lot of feedback. No, right? it but doesn't. I, I you think, lining out on yeah. a guy throwing 90 and handling that failure well, mm-hmm. that might be what they're looking for. They don't, they don't really care about your stats yeah. for that game. I think that's the biggest misconception for parents. Um, that are in the stands or have, you know, kids that are playing this sport is that is probably the biggest piece, right? Like I want to see a kid fail for, for specific reasons. Um, I want to see how he handled the failure. I want to see how he came off the field or how he, you know, gave his equipment to the coach. Um, did he throw his stuff or did he hand him his stuff? I mean, it's just, how does he run out of the dugout, you know, to get to his position? I mean, these are all, very old school, you know, in air parentheses or quotations, right, Um, things. And they are things. They are very, very imperative things. And the shock was I have all these dudes out on the field. Sal's a good player. He's a role guy. He's the epitome of what best speed baseball is about. But I have guys that are way flashier, way more toolsy, and they are really stuck on this kid, giving him an 80% ride to a D2. And I'm like, wow, like, okay, is it really? It's it's like this now. And it was one of those more head-turning things. Like, okay, all of you guys now have a chance. And that was more of a confidence thing booster for me as a coach. And, you know, somebody who's trying to get kids seen and, and out is the style and brand of baseball we're playing is a winning brand. And they're looking at this kid as he gets it. And it doesn't matter if he had all the flashy tools. He just gets it. So we can, you know, the ego then takes over as coaches. We all know this, that I can now get this kid to another level and I'm going to take a chance on him. And that's what ended up happening for Sal and all of his teammates. You know, I, I think each each recruit does provide something to someone. You just have to find the right fit to where you have to know yourself. And we, we talk about that more than anything here is you got to know yourself. You got to know that, you know, here's a great example. Bobby Blanford who's at Fresno state right now. And as he's getting into that summer of 2020, he's tabbed as our fourth outfielder out of six on this roster of 28. And We have a right fielder, Gavin Tonko, who's playing with the Phillies now. Okay, drafted out of high school. Tyree Reed, the number one outfielder in the nation. Perfect game in PBR rankings. And then I have a sophomore who's getting ready to be a junior who's already got a full tilt to Cal in Daryl Dilworth. So our outfield's pretty solidified. All three have commits. Gavin's committed to Sac State. All three are commits. Eddie Madrigal. Bobby Blanford and Michael Benvenitas are our other three outfield options. Tyree gets hurt week one of the whole season, and he's still hurt, unfortunately. You know, he just had a second knee surgery, and I, and we're praying for him, and I think he's healthy again and, and participating in the fall now at Oregon State. So he goes down. So now we're going to either shift Daryl to center and play Bobby in left or put Bobby in center, which we did. Bobby goes out the first two weeks of four games and hits six jacks all on video. We, you know, we did a lot of video during that time because no coaches could be out Mm -hmm. and St. Mary's San Diego state and Fresno state and Sac state are very heavy on him. Fresno state is where he wants to go because they have an agricultural program and that's what he wants to do, you know, for his college career, you know, as his major. And the first thing I told him was, We've had a couple players play there, right? We had Tegan Jones, uh, a left-handed pitcher who went there. And Tegan would always come back during the break, and he's like, Coach Patel's really hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's just he's, – he's extremely old school like you told us he would be. And I'm like, okay. You know, and so I told Bobby this. Can you handle that? 
Now, Bobby's the kind of guy that dad's a firefighter, EMT, so very brash and very alpha. And so, like, that that was a great fit for him because that's how he grew up. That was the environment he had in the home is the same accountability and same tough love coaching-wise that Coach Batesel and his staff provide. So, for him, it's a great fit, right? And that's kind of how it's worked out. I don't, we've only had a couple of guys that just, it wasn't the right fit and they landed right back on their feet because of their talent. But most of the kids that we've gotten out have been at the right school and have obviously been at the right place at the right time to be seen by those particular schools. Yeah. And you talk about your fourth C, right? Mm -hmm. Character. So much easier to back a kid, even if you're a little concerned about maybe the skill set translating to a certain school or a certain level when you know they're not going to be an off-field issue. You know they're going to bring the character, which helps create winning culture. Because that's a relationship thing, right? Be just between you and I. Like, if I tell you about a player that you now have or you're going to get that's in my program here at Best Speed, um, I want to be able to give you a solid report. I want to be able to tell you, hey, this kid's really good, both on and off the field. And in that character analysis piece is everything for these staffs, regardless of how the carousel of coaching works. Um, no staff wants I call them poo butts, but no, no staff wants a guy that's going to be an issue. And we're not developing or curating issues. We're, we're, we're hammering issues. We're task oriented when you're here in this program to try and get you to where you do want to go. But there is a bigger picture that they all have to start understanding, right? Like a lot of these kids don't know that it really isn't about your individual self and, and, you know, kind of the numbers you're putting up. Like, are you a good person? Only so many people are going to deal with that 1% guy that's kind of an ass. Yeah, it, it, It's just not going to happen. Yeah, you're right. So kind of mm -hmm. sticking with this topic of like, where guys fit, where they go. You've sent guys to all different kinds of programs. How do you help guys find the right fit for them? And then kind of a follow-up question I'll come to after that is like, how do you keep expectations realistic when maybe a player doesn't have a realistic view of where they're at skill set wise or playing at the next level? So what Dyron and I do for our national team, is we have them make a, t a list of 10 schools. Your top five have to be very realistic. We, you know, If you're a sophomore or a junior, I don't want to see Vandy as number one because they're not recruiting you your sophomore, junior year. Very rarely do those SEC Power 5 schools get a guy junior year unless something they know that they're going to have a draft pick fall through, whatnot. They're, they're usually done by eighth and ninth grade, which – I don't like necessarily because baseball is one of the only sports. Obviously, it's a skill set sport, but baseball is one of those sports where there are a lot of late bloomers. Hey, man, 95 is 95 yeah. whenever it's 95. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of kids do get overlooked because they don't get to that 95 till their senior year or even post-grad sometimes. So I think the best thing to do is to look at their GPAs. You know, this also comes as a, you know, advice for coaches that are hopefully listening to this is um, you have to really get to know your player, right? Like you have to get to know their personality. You have to understand what their background or their home is. You know, are they affluent or are they not affluent? You know, and, and money is a, a factor. Um, is it a two parent home, one parent home Are grandparents involved? Like uh, there's a lot of factors that a lot of people don't realize that you have to do in order you know, does this kid get, you know, Native American money or does he get some sort of, you know, military, yeah, yeah, military discount or anything of that nature? Because when we're really talking at the table, right, like it's not necessarily a table, but usually it's a phone call now because of COVID. But this used to be a table talk. You know, you'd be in the coach's office with the entire staff going over numbers. And when you're getting to that point, like, is this kid going to survive realistically in this environment is it a party school is it a not a party school is it a quiet city or is it a loud city you know because 
you take the quiet kid and you put him in a loud city, he's going to figure out at some point he's either going to be ostracized or you're going to fall victim to that environment, right? And so you just have to know each and every player to an, to a certain degree. And not I'm not knocking anybody on this. I don't feel like a lot of people care about that from a coaching standpoint of what we're doing in travel ball. Like I do, Dyron does, our staffs do. We really care about what kind of kid we're getting in our organization, whether they've gotten here when they were 10 or they got here when they were 15. We really do care about that because that piece is very imperative to what this next four-year decision or two-year decision may be. Most kids right now, honestly, are probably not ready for the jump to a four-year university. Um, so being a community college baseball coach for the last four years, I can tell you that a lot of them aren't, especially coming off of such a, a devastation yeah. two and a half year process of COVID um, where the junior college game is going to be very, it, it was great last year. You know, we had two draft picks at our, at our school last year, you know, Harry Owen and, and, and TJ Sizz. And those are guys that, I mean, Harry decommitted from Auburn, you know, to go JC because he wanted to play professionally. So that he bet on himself, right? He bet on himself because he didn't get drafted out of high school because his high school situation was a little different. He was homeschooled for four years. Yeah. And so obviously the only time he was seen was on the scene. So a lot of these guys couldn't see him during regular high school season, especially pro scout. So he ended up coming to a, one of the better leagues in California, right? The big eight. Every game we have five to ten, even fifteen scouts, general managers, assistant general managers, um, head scouting guys—you know, guys that actually make decisions in these war rooms—and some of our players didn't realize that they could have benefited from that too. I think that was what was lost in all of that. Is guys, they're here to see you, or here to see Harry, or here to see TJ. But you can make some noise if you you're playing. Ahead, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you start playing the game the right way, and it, it's. I experienced that as a player. You know, I played with Manny Parra, Dallas Braden, and Ryan Nipchild, Pete White, who was a star-studded shortstop, 6'4", could sling it, could hit it. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, who's that four-hitter? Mm-hmm. You know, who's that catching Manny? Who's that catching Dallas? You know, and these, they're here to see those guys, and they all had illustrious careers at the pro level. But this guy's catching them pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. And so that – just living through that, I think, has helped me become who I am as a coach and a facilitator today is knowing that it just takes that one set of eyes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're just looking for one yes. That's all it takes. Exactly. Right? And it has to be the right yes because mm-hmm. you go into certain situations where it can be the wrong yes. Yep. Um, and the wrong yes benefits the player now more so than ever obviously especially if you commit to a four-year and you can go into the portal but remember when you go into that portal it now becomes all about the relationships that you've either developed or your coach has and that's the we've had six players in the last year and a half hit the portal including my son but it became about the relationships you have within the game for him to field 18 calls in three days being in the portal Mm-hmm. And to be able to capture uh, an opportunity for a, a coach that just took over a program that wants to make a splash in, in you know, the Pac West, and Dane did that. He felt like TJ's a, a great shortstop and, and can bat two, three, or four in our lineup, which he did his freshman year, played every game. And even yesterday when he FaceTimed me, he's like, yeah, uh, I went and hit with Dane yesterday. I said, did anybody else go? And he's like, no, it's just him and I. I said, so what did you guys do? He said, we took ground balls for 30 minutes, you know, talked about some footwork things, and then we hit for another 40. And that's when you know as a parent and as a coach, he's in the right place. This coach is taking time out of his actual specific day to work with his starting shortstop, you know, and that, that goes a long way with me as a parent. And as just Dane and I as individual and having our personal relationship, I appreciate that, you know, but that's also – because of the relationship. That's also because he believes in him. He saw him at a very early age and watched him mature. It's all circling back to the fourth C. Yep. I see why you have the C. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's let's shift gears just okay. a little bit. I don't want to keep you here forever. No, it's okay. You're, you're busy busy guy but um let's talk a little bit about frustrations with the recruiting process it's not always it's not glamorous sunshine and rainbows (laughs) as you know personally and through leading other people through this a lot of ups and downs so what are some of your just kind of frustrations with the process like what would you want to change if you had had the magic wand and you could just uh window limitations having specific and specified windows um, that'd be number one. Um, Creating those windows. Yeah, and, and restrictions. I, I think there has to be some sort of restrictions between 8th, ninth, and 10th graders. And, and I can get a lot of backlash from it, but I just believe that. Like, I think because the rules are in place. Like, I always find it funny. Like, uh, what, September 1st is when juniors can be contacted. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen more 26-class kids and more 27-class kids off the board or have verbally committed in the last three months as to where any of my 24 classes gotten a phone call, right? So how is this all happening, right? Because there's all these little crazy innuendos that you can kind of sneak past or do. And it's like you really have to know the ins and outs of their rules and regulations. So clear, more clear-cut rules and regulations and, and divided specific time slots to then recruit who you need to recruit. I think that would be number one. Number two, there needs to be more in the state of California for the California travel ball or showcaseable type style organizations. Meaning like local events? Yes. Things, that, yes. things so, where you don't have to pay to go to yeah, Arizona. Yeah, so like... I always look at five tool, right? They come out here and then they'll use Sac City. They'll use consume this. They'll use Folsom Lake. Why can't we have those bigger events or NorCal events at those three individual places where we're not getting on a plane every Thursday and flying out or like in the summer, we leave Wednesday mornings or Tuesday late nights for Wednesday starts and Sunday ends, right? Like it gets costly. It gets expensive. Um, Irvine has a great park called it's called Great Park now. There's eight spring training fields plus a stadium field. So there's nine fields to host and handle what the Arizona Fall Classic could present. We get the same weather, you know, Fresno. They have all of the high schools that literally look like colleges. Um, Fresno Easter Classic. Yeah, yeah they're you know, they're they, everywhere. They host right? 50 yeah. teams every exactly. year. Exactly. And so we need more of that. So if I can wave my magic wand, that'd be like my 1B. Coordination. Is coordination of the top-tiered organizations or even just all organizations. And, you know, tournament directors may hate me for saying it, you know, that are local or whatnot. But, like, they're not doing any of us a service having tournaments every single weekend, even at the youth level, because it shouldn't take us getting on a plane to go to Arizona to be seen. Yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned, like, you know, you go down to Arizona and you get seen by Long Beach State. Mm -hmm. And you, if you look at the numbers and college baseball insights, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Yeah, oh, yeah, I follow them. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, they break this all down. Yeah. You know, you talk about Nolan Berry looking, coming through Mm -hmm. a roster. If you want to really dive in deep into that roster and see where players are coming from, see where guys are transferring to, why they're transferring, what years they're transferring they provide that. But if you look at the high school participation, most guys are going to school within a couple hours of home. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way. It yeah, it is. I mean, more kids stay local locally than you think. And I think what happens is, is because we have social media, because we have all these tangible things that we can see right away that, you know, there's a kid, Blake Burke, right, who plays at Tennessee. He's phenomenal talent. You know what? That kid's been talented since he was 11 years old. Played mm-hmm. against TJ all his life. Davis Diaz, starting third baseman at Vanderbilt. Like Those guys were always good. They were good at 11. They were great at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have your one percenters. I equate them. Malcolm Morris, great since he was 12 years old. Like, you know, even Jack Philby, great when he was 10 years old at Land Park Little League. Like, I'm like, I'm watching this kid play 10U All-Stars, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, this kid just... 
Your left-handed bat plays short, pitches well. Like he's just he's gonna go somewhere. So it doesn't shock me when he's 14 and a half years old and he commits to UCLA. Like that's who he is. But there's not that many guys like that. However, I think we have this kind of facade or unicorn thought process that every kid has to be, you know, those gentlemen, those young athletes, and and they're not. Most aren't. You know, and I think if you host things in a region, now those regional coaches have a better opportunity to get the talent from here, right? And I've always given Sac State that credit, always have. Like, he's done a good job of managing his corridors from the 707 to the Rocklands, Granite Bay areas, to the Woodland, Davis areas, and then into regionally Sacramento and pulling who he he feels are going to be the best fits for his program. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to keep his talent local as much as possible. And I think that's where a lot of schools miss out. Right. Like, you know, and, and, and I'm not speaking in power five terms. I'm speaking more in mid-major to small major yeah. terms. And that's where our relationships with them come into play. And I think our relationships could be even stronger. Have we have more regional type style showcasing or tournaments to where these guys can actually come out? Um, I don't know how to do that. I, I, I would love to be a part of a board that that could help facilitate that more in the summer. Um, and fall because keeps the game more affordable. Yeah. And that's really, yeah, but that's really what it comes down to because here's the thing. You have a kid who may come from a two income family, but it's not a big two income family. Right. And that's the majority of my Sacramento kids. And I'm asking them to pay X, Y, and Z fees to get on a plane to, for me to shuttle them around for them to stay in a hotel. And then they also have to eat, but then I'm also telling them, hey, we're, we're, we're trying to get this so you can, you know, play college baseball. And then the actuality of college baseball, I think College Insights broke this down. I mean, most schools aren't paying per capita of their players no more than 7% of athletic scholarship money. So where is all the other money coming from? Academics, endowments, and from their pockets. So... In, in actuality, a lot of times college, and you, you think about this in a, in a kind of a linear sense, colleges really pay to play for a lot of athletes that are playing at four-year universities. You're paying to get there, and then yeah. you're paying once you're there. Yeah. yeah, and so, like, how can I offset that cost? Like, that's the morality thing I deal with every single night I lay my head to sleep. It's like, okay, I, I struggle with that piece of it, it being as expensive as it is to do all these things just to have that opportunity to be seen verbally commit, go through the recruitment process, then sign your national letter of intent, then to actually get on campus and and be able to live while you're on campus and play your sport as yeah. well as go to school. Local cleans a lot of that up. Yeah. Sticking local. Mm-hmm. Okay. You straddle a lot of different baseball communities, right? Mm-hmm. Travel ball, facility owner, mm-hmm. and high school. You do all of it. Yeah. Okay. So sticking with your magic wand like, let's talk about some of the tensions between those different types of coaches. How do we work together? What do we What do we do? You're you have a, you know, you're in all all of the different areas. Yeah. So what's the What's the solution here? I think more communication needs to be had between, you know, guys that are running college prep programs outside of their high schools with their high school coaches. Um, I experienced some stuff even this year. Um, more now than ever than I'd experienced. You know, I don't remember in my entirety of coaching it being this divisive where like they're running summer programs and they're, you know, telling their kids they can't pitch for me or doing things like that. And for me, that's very imperative because like, who are you playing? Like, I, you know, I'm thinking this all the time. Like, okay, what kind of competition are you playing for one of my top tier guys to not go to Arizona or come to this event that, you know, we have 10 schools at? Like, every year we go to Fresno three times a year to for the CBA Marlins team showcase. At no point are there less than 15 colleges at that event. Now, a kid is made to feel he can't come to that event because he has to be with his high school team. I'm kind of the opposite, very much the opposite. If you know you're going to be somewhere, well, then it's the next guy up in our high school program that's going to 
fill in your spot. Like, do I want you at this game for the fall? Yeah, because, you you know, being a new head coach at a new school, like I do need to get to know all of my teams and my players and, and how we function. But at the end of the day, that event will very much help. And it could hurt because you're either getting exposure or you're getting exposed. But who am I to take that from that that young man? Um, the cohesiveness between us as coaches on both sides has to be better. Um, I think the understanding of what we're trying to accomplish has to be more understood by other high school coaches around. There's some great ones. I mean, there's ones that really, truly get it. And there's ones that don't or don't want to, I would say, not saying they don't get it, but they just don't want to because they have, they feel like they have a job to do and this is just their job. Well, I believe in high school baseball. I always have. I kind of did say I would never go back to it because of the politics of it. But this was a very silver lining job opportunity, you know, to work closely with a, a childhood friend who's now the AD at the high school and kind of raise the level of their awareness of who they actually have within their community to play this game really kind of sold me on wanting this challenge. And I think that if the challenge that is ahead of me, it can be really, really good. Like there was more positive than there was negative. And if you look at it from that factor as a high school coach and you start looking at some of these other organizations that are actually doing it right, that are actually putting kids out, that are actually leading them to success, there should be more grace between the two parties. Yeah, and I feel that too. Obviously, yeah. I'm smack dab in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot, a lot that we can improve on as a baseball community and trying to figure out. A- Communication, right? I, I, there's a lot of things that get lost in tweets and translation and things like that. There's things that I retweet or I'll say, and I know a ton of people are going to go back to Dyron, right? Like he always texts me. He's like, what do you mean by this? Like I've gotten three texts about your tweet today. And it's like, okay, my tweet is not directed at anybody. If I'm going to direct something, I'll at you. Right. That's how I've always believed. If I'm going to direct something directly to you, I'll probably pick up the phone and call you if we have that relationship. First and foremost, I speak in more terms of generalities because I don't feel like my way is the only way, but it's a good way. It's sustained for 13 years. It's worked for 13 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling you what works or how we've done things. And if you kind of just. I guess show grace, right, showing grace in, in a sense where. Like, yeah, this is one of my better players, too, but I this also helps you. I don't think people realize that in a lot of ways. Like, if you get a guy a four-year deal, right, if, I, if I've helped illustrate or construct this four-year deal to whatever university it is, that also helps you as a high school coach. You now have a guy that's committed. So more people are paying attention to what you're doing. And so why not want I go back to Derek Jeter and in that seven piece doc he just did. Right. Like in episode one, he talked about I wanted everybody watching me. I wanted that spotlight. So why would we keep deviating from having the spotlight on us? Like, don't you want the spotlight? Like you probably most of the schools that are those schools that have these players are already going to have the spotlight because they're traditional powerhouses. But why not want it even more? Like I want it more for him. Like I'm. Let's go. Sure. Yeah. No. All all good stuff, man. Um, covering a bunch of different topics, giving out a bunch of great advice that people listening at home can can take from this. But since you're managing mm-hmm. three different jobs, I'm not going to keep you here all day. No, it's okay. But what we like to kind of finish on, call our mic drop piece. Where mm-hmm. hey, we just turn it over to you. Whether it's best piece of advice you have for a high school player who wants to play in college and navigate the recruiting process, player development, whatever it is, man, it's, it's open mic. It's time for, time for your <laughs> mic drop and then we'll shut so it down. I, I think the only mic drop thing I can really construct is, is this goes for, from a young age to now, right? So I'm speaking young, like nine, 10, 11, which is the brick and mortar part. Find an organization that you know is going to curate your son kind of mirroring and matching how you're raising your son. Um, 
stop team hopping if if things aren't good. Uh, learn to battle through adversity. Learn how to communicate to your coaches what you may want or what you may feel. And I hope that you have a coach that can articulate what they feel and what they want. I think that part is really missing. Um, not every kid is a free agent. Not every kid is going to make it. Um, the numbers don't lie <laughs> when it comes to that. I think from a high school age standpoint, nutrition needs to be number one. Uh, learning how to stay available is number two, because I always believe that your best ability is your availability. And we say that here all the time. So the weight room, the banding, the plyo care balls, all of that stuff is what we call prehabbing. So we don't have to be in rehab. So learn to do that. Learn how to play the game. Uh, IQ wise, get smarter, be around better, challenge yourself when you're at practice. Um, I'm really big on this piece, write. You need to be writing in a journal daily about your negative, your positive, and then what you're trying to work on because you can trail that writing piece back every two, three weeks even and kind of really see your growth. I think a lot of kids get lost in that journey because it's not documented. Um, I documented mostly everything for my son, whether it was at-bats, whether it was training videos, like things like that. I, I, I created a montage form of when he was 10 years old and he first hit with Orsino Hill, Derek Hill's dad, who was a 25-year scout with the Dodgers, and watching his swing from 10 to 19 and just different clips throughout the years in this facility. And – he saw growth. He was able to actually physically see it, that he's, his swing has gotten better. His body has changed. He's become a, a young man, strong young man. Um, for parents, love your child through and through. Have more life conversations as opposed to baseball-related conversations. Continue to feed them the right information. Uh, allow them to fail allow their them to grow without you hovering over the dugout or emailing a coach or texting a coach because you felt that they should be doing something. Um, really taking two to four steps backwards, not one, but two to four steps back and allowing your son to progressively get better through failure and success. Um, from a coaching standpoint, keep challenging yourselves, have a great network like I do with you and others where we can pick up the phone and we can talk shop for three hours and it's, it's productive. It's constructive. I may not agree with you. You may not agree with me, but we're not going to end the conversation on a negative. We're going to end it on. You may be right, you know, or I may be wrong right now in the now, but I may be right later. Right. Heard Kanye say that the other day, like I may not be, right right now but i may be right later and so having that mindset of like just how we both came to the fruition of we're going to have both of our teams run through an nfl kind of spring season deal as opposed to a fall ball game that's outside of the box thinking like we can get so much done in a two and a half hour setting of situations tendencies putting them in different negative type things Things that I've always wanted to do with even travel ball, where it's not just about the four game guarantee and a T-shirt and a fake ring. Like, did we really play good baseball this weekend? Um, our game has grown immensely. And the only way we keep the game from going kind of down the road that it was headed as it's growing is we have to take steps back as the adults and start allowing our players to be creative too. Ask them, you know, there's times with the little guys here, I ask them, how do you want to end practice? What do you want to do? Here's your three options. You know, like on Friday nights, we either play wiffle ball or over the line. Which game do you guys want to play? You know, the funny thing is most people would probably say wiffle ball right now. These kids won't play over the line. It's a hard game. You got to hit the ball straight up the middle. It's 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 a middle away approached game. 
And these kids want to play it. And kids want discipline, structure, and soundness. They yearn for that. It's a Harvard study. So we need to start facilitating that a little bit more as the adults and the overseers of this game. Because at the end of the day, this is the last thing I'll leave you with. At the end of the day, I have to be able as a coach to teach this game to a multitude of kids that are going to then teach it to their kids. That's my gatekeeping type style job. And that's how I coach. So hopefully that's a decent mic drop. You may have to take that mic drop and turn it into its own episode. Yeah. That was great. We've been uh, talking shop with owner, facility owner, travel ball owner, high school baseball coach, parent of college baseball player, uh, baseball extraordinaire, Alex Smith. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Ethan. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thanks for making it to the end of this episode of the KPB podcast. If you find value in our podcast, please help us make it better. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a five-star rating. Write a review. All of that helps us get this information into the hands of those who need it most. We're always beyond excited to get questions and provide more information, you can reach us by email at keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. Our Twitter DMs are open. That's at keepplayingbb. Same is true for our Instagram account. That's at keepplayingbaseball. And Facebook, keepplayingbaseball. We're always excited to help provide you with the information that you need to make educated decisions in the recruiting process and move towards your goal of playing college baseball. Don't hesitate to reach out if you need anything, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, take care.